This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help, seek out a qualified medical services provider or other healthcare professional. Welcome to the Live Your Yoga podcast, a podcast dedicated to discovering and sharing all the ways in which yoga can be lived off the mat. Real stories by real people, just like you. Welcome to the Live Your Yoga podcast. My name is Mark and I'm joined by lovely faculty member, Joanna Griffin. Hi, everyone. Joanna. Hi. <laughs> Hi. And we're here together for part two of the class planning series we're doing together. So hopefully you've heard part one. If you've not, that's okay. You can listen to part two first. No problem. Part one is a little bit of a longer podcast. Well, those are famous last words. We'll see where this takes us. But um, we spent a lot of time in part one talking about pre-class, the opening of class, the warm-up, setting up all of these things. And part two is essentially about kind of the middle part of your class. So I hesitate to use the word peak. But the class, it, you know, if you look at a sort of a, the arc of a class, it is technically the peak, whether it's the peak because it is the hardest part of the class probably that might not be true for all classes but it's the peak in terms of maybe i don't i don't know so so <laughs> i don't want to use the word peak so i'm going to use the word center the center part of the class i mean there's nothing wrong with the word peak i think it just implies peak pose a little bit too strongly what do you think is that a, is that a good observation or is there another way i can look at it yeah, no, I agree. Not every class is going to have a peak pose or be working towards a peak pose, but every class will probably have a place that you would call the center, the kind of the the meat, <laughs> the juice of the, the practice. Meat of the <laughs> juicy meat of the practice. <laughs> the juicy center. I did it. Um, yeah. Yeah, maybe not meat for our The jam and the jammy dodger. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, the jam. The center of the donut, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Some word that means kind of the middle. Delicious. You could just call it the yummy middle. And yeah, gooey and warm and all of that good stuff. The fire. There's lots of words we could use and it depends on the style of the class because some centers of the practice will feel like a warm hug. Some centers of the practice are going to feel very fiery and invigorating. So um, as always, it depends. (laughs) (laughs) The go-to answer for yoga. (laughs) Um, Joanna, do you... If you had to say that you sequenced a particular way, would you say you tended to peak post sequence or not peak post sequence or 50-50? I do not tend to peak pose my classes very often. Um, I'm more likely to have a theme that runs throughout. For example, on Friday, I just taught a class on digestion. 
So the whole practice was about, um, well, there was a lot of rotation happening. So I felt like as the class kind of evolved to this juicy center, the twists got a little deeper, a little more intense. So we got to revolved pyramid, a revolved pyramid variation was one of the deeper options and also a chair pose with hands in Anjali Mudra where you would take, um, say, the left elbow over to the right thigh and create a deeper twist there. And then we would step the left foot back. So you'd come into a lunge. Um, So that was kind of, it got a little warmer, it got a little more intense, it got a little spicier for those that wanted it. So I tend to lean more in that direction where I will build upon the theme and that will, you know, the, the, the theme will add more, uh, depth to the poses or more challenge to the poses as we go along more than necessarily saying today, we're going to come to half moon as our peak pose. And I'm going to get you there piece by piece and warm up the body that way. If I was doing that, it tends to be more of a workshop style class Mm. or offering, I think, to help people get into those shapes. But if I'm teaching a regular class, yeah, it's more thematic. I love that. It's so interesting because as you were saying that, I think that I mostly tend to peak pose sequence and if my peak pose sequence, if I was doing a peak pose sequence on twist, it would be revolved half moon would be my peak or okay. the revolved chair pose. So it's really, I think that's so fascinating. And I wonder if that's where some of the confusion for newer teachers lies is that, like you said before, it depends. And there's a lot of gray area and maybe it's not so much about whether we're peak post sequencing or whether we're thematic sequencing but it's about how we're choosing to get there and how we're seeing our sequence in our minds mm-hmm. that's really that's so uh, we've never and we've never talked about this before so this is this is not scripted but i'm just having a moment where i'm really really interested I would be interested to see one of your sequences. Yes. And if I would say, oh, that's peak pose sequence. And then for (laughs) you to see one of mine. And if you would be able to tell. Right. And the way we would deliver, like say the sequence probably looks very similar by the sounds of it, but the way we're delivering it would be different because clearly I was coming at it from a place of like, we're going to be talking about the digestive system. I talked about sulture. I talked about, um, you know, that kind of, uh, the digestive fire. Like I was, I was weaving in that throughout the class while getting them into these deeper twists. Whereas potentially I'm, I'm going to guess here, but I imagine when you're teaching towards that peak pose, you're giving a lot more of the anatomical cueing, perhaps a lot more alignment. Um, I'm guessing to, to get them there. I mean, I'd have to think back, but I think when I, when I, if I'm using air quotes here, peak pose, excuse me, I'm peak pose sequencing then I will make sure that as I'm planning my sequence that I warm up the certain parts of the body that need to be warmed up. I do the prep poses that would be considered preparatory poses for the particular shape we're working towards. 
And yeah, when I'm when I am peak pose sequencing, I'll probably do the peak pose two or three times, maybe just as a and and it would that part would be a little bit more workshoppy. So I do when I'm planning my sequence, I am making sure that you know I don't want to just pop in a peak pose and be like, here, here's this crazy twist that we didn't do any twist, but we'll do a twist now. Like I want to make sure that everything's sort of as best as I can prepared for and been explored. But now I am thinking more, and it's not an official statement by any means, but I'm wondering more if, if it's more to do with the way that a teacher's mind likes to organize and to lay out information necessarily, rather than the classes being that drastically different. Yeah, hmm. I agree. Because, yeah, I think... W- even though I'm teaching from a thematic point of view and I know there are certain things I want to hit in the class, you know, to, to get the theme across, I am still offering that building, the building blocks to get towards those deeper twists. So it could be seen as we are moving to the peak this is the peak pose of the class. This is as far as we're going. But I never talk about it in that sense to the mm-hmm. class. I know yeah. it, but mm-hmm. they don't. Totally. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. Whereas sometimes in a peak pose class, the teacher will declare that this is the theme mm-hmm. of the class. We're going to work towards this place. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely taken those classes. So yeah. I I guess I wonder if for me, I find it I find it easier to work backwards from the pose. Um, you know, knowing what the 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 juicy meat of of my class will be, and then I find it a little bit easier to plan my sequence once I know that. Um but that's so interesting. And that's interesting that you plan backwards. I plan forwards. Forwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. Uh, we should dive into that too. Yeah. I I think for me, I I'm a person who needs to be in control. So I like to know where I'm going. And mm-hmm. when I know where I'm going, I can build the steps to get there. Mm-hmm. And and right now, like I'm, I think I'm talking purely on a, on a sort of anatomical level when I'm talking, you know, when I, when I'm peak pose planning, it's really when the focus of the class, either the theme of the class has to do with the particular peak pose or the, f- you know, say it's a balancing class and I want to do a really fun dynamic balancing pose. So that, that would be when that's sort of my main focus and I will work in a, a sort of a more of a, a connective theme through that in some way, you know, maybe we work on uh, letting go or, or acceptance and that ties in, but uh, my idea will come from, I want to go there. I want to go to that pose and then I find out how I'm going to get there but you're saying you might do the opposite. I will think of the theme and think of like 
brainstorm off the theme all the things that I could teach that would relate. And then I kind of decide the order that we're going to go in. Mm. What makes sense on the journey. Yeah. In fact, I think I taught on the Facebook page we did when we do the student development sessions, I did teach a couple of those where I showed people my brainstorm of how I would put a class together. And Mm. yeah, so it would be from the theme and then it'd be like, what would the pranayama be? What would the mantra be? What would the movement be? And then how we would piece it together. So, I, I mean, every teacher's journey to how they plan and sequence is unique. Mm-hmm. And But what's interesting from what we're discovering right now is that the actual, like, if you were to look at our sequences side by side for a similar class, say you're, you're working towards Revolve Pyramid and I'm theming a class around digestion, it would be so funny to see how similar they look on paper. Yeah, that would be that would make a great video. <laughs> be like one of those YouTube unboxing videos, but we're yeah. just gonna unbox our secrets. One one pose at a time and see how close we are. <laughs> I think that I mean, based on what we're saying now, I think they'd be fairly similar for the, mm. you know, on paper at least. But we got there a completely different way. A totally different way. Um Okay, so now we've sort of discovered that peak pose might be peak pose sequencing could be uh, could be seen as peak pose sequencing. It could be seen as thematic sequencing. I wonder if we would agree that there's clear, like that, like you were saying, like when a teacher is very explicit that this is the pose we're working towards, and it is a li- little bit more workshoppy, maybe and it is a lot more anatomical based and things like this. That might be a really obvious peak pose class. Or sometimes, you know, if you're working up to those really challenging arm balances and things like that, those might lean themselves to be a lot more peak pose class driven because of the amount of prep you need and the safety things you need in there and all those different elements. So I definitely see that. And then on the other hand, I can see classes I've taught that have no peak pose at all, where it's basically, we're just going to move through a series of really lovely poses. Might there be a pose that is considered the peak pose? Sure. Like maybe it's a high lunge. I don't know. But I, I think it's sort of more about like the direction you're looking at it from and not whether it's a peak pose or not. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I've been to classes like that. I've taught classes like that. Um, I don't think there is, I don't think one is better or worse than the other in terms of whether you're reaching a peak pose or not. I think it's about the experience Mm-hmm. you're offering and if the sequence makes sense in the body and feels well-rounded in the body. So do you get to the end of the sequence and feel like, oh, yeah, like I feel more open, I feel more spacious, I feel stronger or whatever, whatever the intention was for the teacher to get their students to arrive at, has that been accomplished? And if it has, then job done. 
I don't mm-hmm. think we need to be so rigid in thinking it has to have this ultimate climax um, because it's not necessarily needed in every yeah. class, I think. No, I totally agree with you. I've taught lots of classes where the intention has not been to get to any particular pose. It's just moving through a series of postures that, you know, with the warm up, downward dog, Tadasana, some standing poses, some hip stretches, lying down, seated pose, you know, like that kind of thing, like nothing, like nothing centered around getting to a particular pose. So I think what I'm coming to realize as we talk is that it's a hundred percent, well, hundred, I'll never say a hundred, maybe like 95% down to the intention of what you're wanting to teach. Correct. Because I, what I was just thinking about when you were saying that was that that's all fine and good to go through a practice where there's not necessarily that, like we're not leading towards a peak, but I do think it's vitally important that there is a, a something that threads the sequence together. So mm-hmm. is the focus on opening the hips? Is the focus on the root chakra? Is the focus on breath and movement together? Like there has to be something that glues it all together, I think, that is threaded throughout. Um, because otherwise it could just feel like you're winging it as a teacher. It's like you're just throwing a practice together. There's not really a lot of, I mean, you might have really thought about it, but it might come across that it's not really been mindfully planned or thought out. And, you know, maybe you're just asking the students to think of their own intention for the class and there's not mm. really any kind of uh, thread that you're you're hoping the students get from, from the class. And I think that's what determines a teacher from an instructor. Totally. An instructor, yeah, an instructor can teach you how to get from A to B, but a teacher is going to give you something to think about, to leave with. And I think that's the difference. No, I totally agree. Yeah, you need you need something that pulls the class together, whether it is a peak pose, whether it's your theme, something or both those things together or the one if, you know, I think every class should have some sort of theme, whether explicit or not have some sort of theme, like what is the, I, I guess like the question when you get to this part of planning your class is like, why are you choosing these poses? What is the reason? And you need a reason to choose the poses. We can't just like you're saying, randomly select poses and hope that just because they might anatomically work well together, doesn't mean that that's going to communicate the same way to students. So we need a reason for choosing them. So mm-hmm. whether you start with the reason as your theme or the pose you're wanting to do or, and you work that way, or you work the way that I tend to, you need a reason. And that's, I mean, this just makes your job a whole lot easier, right? When you're writing and planning out your classes is is you'll be so easily able to select poses that work and that feel cohesive and connected because you have a unifying element of some kind, whatever that might be. 
Um, And that's going to help you when you get to that point in your teaching where you realize this isn't working for my students. This mm -hmm. sequence isn't quite working, but I want to keep that thread, that theme, that consistency. But now I know I have other places I can go that still connects to my theme, but it's maybe not that same level of intensity or it helps you to not be scrambling in the moment of like, oh my gosh, like this isn't working. They're not getting it. But also like, I don't have any, I don't know where to go from here because I haven't really got a theme or I haven't really got an intention. If you have something clearly set at the center, your spine of your practice, then you can pull things back into it and move things out from it rather than it being just a kind of a jumble. <laughs> well, and, and, it helps you to, I think we talked about the beginning about sometimes you have to modify your sequence. It's not always a necessity, but you might need to for a variety of reasons, or maybe you just don't have a ton of time and you're going to use an old practice that you have, but instead of making the focus root chakra, you can easily switch the focus to heart chakra by adding in some heart opening elements to probably a lot of those same poses. So it also means that one sequence can work for multiple different things. And the more you practice, the more you plan, the less now, the less you have to plan later on because you can change it. Likely, I would say that I feel comfortable saying that I can um, on a dime. If I'm like, okay, now this is a heart chakra class. Nobody wants to do root chakra or it's not the right moment or the vibe's not here. It's a heart opening class. Boom. And I don't have to have that panic. Yeah. And that, again, it's experience that I think to be able to shift it so quickly, but use a sequence you already have. I think that is, is skill and experience to get there. I don't think that comes I, quickly. It do, and I think it comes from years of writing down sequences and being able to visualize them or look back at them. And, you know, I know that's not for everybody, but for the, my brain and the way that it works, I just love writing them down. I find it so helpful. And yeah. even if you're typing them on your phone or however you can take notes, cause it's really difficult to remember what you did six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you might not want to remember what you did six years ago, but it could be very good. Um, so we got a bit off track there, I guess, with our <laughs> discovery about, about class planning. But regardless of what we're calling it, we've done a warm-up. We're in the center of the class, the juicy part of the class. What's going to make a difference here is the style you're teaching, whether it's a vinyasa or a hatha. We'll just stick to hatha and vinyasa for now because they're most similar in nature, I think. Um, and the, the pace is going to be different, whether it's hatha or vinyasa, the number of poses, which is a question we get a fair bit. How many poses should I have? It depends on your class, the style, the pace, the intention. There's no, there's no uh, fixed answer, unfortunately. Um, so if you're in the bulk of, a, you know, for example, a very slow hatha class, the center of the class might not look that different from your warm-up 
It might sort of be extended out from that. You might start to explore a few different ranges of motion, but if it's a super like chill, you know, end of the evening half the class, it might feel a little bit similar throughout. If it's a really intense half the practice, it might start to, you know, the, the pace might pick up a little bit. It might have kind of a little bit of a vinyasa vibe, but you're probably holding the poses for a little bit longer. But still, it might have that kind of energy behind it, and there might be more poses in the class. So a lot of it comes down to what I think we were just saying about being prepared, thinking about what it is you're wanting to do, how you're going to get to the places you're going to get to. And knowing that, then you'll be able to build out this sort of center part of your class. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be, it's not a one size fits all approach to, to planning. And, um, there are lots of elements that are going to play into it. One, I think it's where also too, like your understanding about moving the body through space becomes really important. Doing that in a very logical way in the center of your class. You know, if you're, you finish your warm up and everyone's in downward dog and you're going to do some standing balance poses it's sort of like cueing everybody there to stand very effectively um spending the time there and then moving in the next direction you're moving in it's like really thinking about the efficiency of movement so that you're not kind of up down up down up down all the time yeah. and that comes down to kind of smart planning and just understanding bodies i think yeah and a, and a good piece of advice would be if you are if that doesn't come easily to you to know kind of logically what should come next is to do it in your own body like practice the bulk part of the practice in your body because i think that's where we kind of can run into trouble um where we try and sometimes get a bit fancy or you know, and, and then it can get a, a little bit complicated or not make as good logical sense as it could. So I think doing it in your own body is is a great way to see if it works and then write it down from there. So I think we'll start to wrap this part two up, Joe, because um, yeah, we could keep going forever and talk mm -hmm. about a specific poses and things like that. And I think that Again, like we mentioned in that first part, if you're, if you have more questions or you're sort of like, ah, but what does that mean? Analyze some classes. If you're in the, in the 200 hour program that is built in throughout the program is analyzing some classes. But the more you do that and the more you take the time to use your teacher's mind in classes or just to observe classes, it's only going to serve you in understanding sequencing on a much deeper level. So this yeah. is just a taster. This is just like a food for thought. And then from here, you can, if you still have questions, then take some time. I would say take six classes with at least two different teachers and watch them take notes you know, if hopefully you're doing it online so you can scan back and, oh, how did they say that? Or, oh, that's weird. They did that there. But 
I think that type of work, that type of study will help to clarify any confusion that you have. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, observing and taking notes is a huge way to establish what you like and what you don't like and to use that in your own teaching. And talking too, you know, make a post on the Facebook page because even Joe and I just today talking about it, you know, realizing some things that we hadn't chatted about before. So uh, connect with your community and ask questions and we're here to support you however you need. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see you in part three. Okay, see you soon.